Blog Talk Radio. Hello, hello. Welcome to Our Sports Latest Podcast. Uh, Jim with Sid. Uh, I am back in Los Angeles from the great Midwest, Iowa City, Iowa. It's a really cool college town, and it took me 22 hours to get there, and fortunately five to get back, so thank God for that. Well, welcome home. Back to the sun. Yes, and I don't know if people know that I got stuck on the way out because of the FAA glitch in L.A., which turned out was caused by a U-2 spy plane. Which I don't even know they flew those things anymore. Somehow it wasn't in the FAA's traffic pattern system, and it literally caused the whole computer to just freeze up and just stopped everything for hours. And I think like 300 flights were delayed or canceled, and it was just mayhem. And I was unfortunately caught up in <laughs> caught up in the mayhem. So... It is kind of amazing how a little thing like that, one airplane, could cause the entire system to shut down, which then had ripple effects all over the country. Yeah, well, it's uh, that's our, our government dollars at work, right? <laughs> yep, and it shows you how fragile everything is, too. I, I think we're not much different from many third-world countries. If we have an earthquake in L.A. and the power goes out, I think you'll see us reverting to Lord of the Flies pretty quickly, so let's hope that doesn't happen. <laughs> Um, but today we're going to be talking NFL draft. It's a huge uh, draft this year. Um, in the first round, all the stuff about who's going to go number one for the first time in years. We don't know who's going to be the number one pick or whether the Texans will trade it. Uh, you have Johnny Manziel, who uh, I'm sick of hearing about. He's, I think he's been linked to pretty much 30 of the 32 NFL teams in some fashion. Um, but for our purposes, the, the big story is Michael Sam. Who is going? Who is literally the first openly gay NFL draft prospect in history? Um, and it's, the intriguing thing is, where is he going to be drafted? If he's going to be drafted, um, there have been so many stories written this week about, you know, Sam seeing the seven rounds anywhere from third round to seventh round to undrafted. Everybody's weighing in, and uh, you know, um, Sid, you picked. I picked the fifth round, and the Jets, and you picked was it third to fourth? Yeah, third to the fourth round, and I, I don't uh, I, I don't know what team is going to going to take him, but I think there are a bunch of teams who who would be willing to, and, and where he would be a good fit. And I certainly uh, look I, beyond being a fan, I continue to believe the Patriots would be a, a fantastic fit for him, just the way that Bill Belichick runs the operation, uses special teams players, and gives people opportunities. So. I just I, I think that'd be a great place, but but Jim, we have uh, Judy Batista on the line right now, oh, and I'm she's here. Oh, from, okay, she is from NF, from NFL.com, NFL Network, NFL everything, and I want to hear what <laughs> Judy has to th- has to say about this. Judy. How are you? Good. How are you guys? Doing great, Judy. We have a contest. We're having people guess uh, where Sam will be drafted and by who. Sid has entered his little thing. Before we start, uh, why don't you make your prediction? Wow, I I have no idea what team it'll be. I, I, yikes! I would say, uh, you know, I think he's probably a third day pick, so four, five, six rounds, 
probably is where I would put him. I have no clue uh, what team will take him, though. None That's at all. no fun. you got to take a wild guess I, like everybody else and seem I like an expert even, if you're right. Kidding? I don't even know who's going to go number one in their strategies. <laughs> I mean, Cloudy's going to go one, right? I mean, I, I, well, I, I mean, how do you not yeah, take you him and pair him up with right. the Watts? I yes, I agree. But um, if they were so sold on him, they wouldn't be trying to trade out of a number one spot. So I, I don't know. But as for Sam, I don't know. Although I do agree with Sid's theory that uh, the Patriots, you know, do use sort of utility players better than a lot of teams do. So if he happens to, to go there, that would be a good landing spot for his purposes. You know, that would probably give him a good chance to make the roster. Well, Judy, what are you hearing about him? Uh, and I say that Bob McGinn of the Milwaukee Journal, who's one of the more plugged-in guys in writing about football, interviewed 21 scouts, and of those scouts, I think 12 would not draft him. The rest had him in late rounds. Some had him as an undrafted free agent. What are people that you hear saying about it, or is anybody saying anything about him? Well, that's, I think, the the storyline is that nobody is really saying anything about it, which is not unusual for a later-round pick. I mean, to be frank, you know, the reporters aren't asking a whole lot about it because the star names are the ones that everybody cares about right now. So do I think people are talking about him? No, I don't necessarily think that that's a bad thing. When he first came out, you know, before the combine, uh, you know, I talked to a number of personnel executives then, and they thought time, now this was before the combine, which obviously was disappointing, but um, they thought at the time that he would be drafted, that he was, a, you know, certainly a draft, a draftable player, um, it would be later rounds, uh, and, and I've certainly heard nothing, you know, Bob McGinn, is, as you said, as plugged in as anybody is, um, I, you know, I do think he's going to be a later round pick. Will he go undrafted? I'd be surprised if he goes undrafted, to be honest with you. Yeah, and I'll say the field, my feeling is that because he can rush the passer and those are in a premium, even if people think he's a tweener or not sure, you take a chance on him because you look at a team like Seattle, they, they have so much of a rotation. They, if they just got a half dozen plays out of him a game, it might be enough to, to win a game. So I think because he has one specialty, and that specialty is in demand, I think someone will take a chance on him just in case he becomes, you know, Dwight Freeney Jr. Right, and his other big thing is going to be playing special teams. That's, you know, that's going to be an important part of him making the roster. You know, one of the things in the NFL is the more you can do. And so he's going to have to do all that kind of stuff, playing on special teams. But, um, I mean, I agree with you. He can rush the passer. Is he as fast as a Jadavian Clowney? No. Is he as big as he is? No. Is he as strong as he is? No. But, um, you know, not everybody is going to be a Jadavian Clowney, and that doesn't mean that you can't be drafted. I mean, we've seen every year that there are guys who get drafted in a late round to make rosters and make contributions. I mean, Richard Sherman just got a gigantic contract extension yesterday, and he's with this round draft pick. So it happens all the time. Well, and and I just think that, you know, all this chatter, it's been interesting to watch the chatter this week in particular because before he came out, Michael Sam was a, a pass-rushing specialist. He was a beast. He was a guy who just knew how to get to the quarterback. And all of a sudden, three months later, thank you very much, NFL, for the extra two weeks before the draft, he's now a two-bit player who's overrated, who isn't 
won't won't fit in the NFL because of his playing style. How how does the storyline for these kinds of players go from uh, you know he could be a really real late round gem, a pass rushing specialist, um, to man eh, he's not very good. Well, you could ask Teddy Bridgewater the same question. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, this is exactly what happens in these few months is um, everybody sort of bores in and watches film and then tries to project how guys will play in the NFL, where they'll play in the NFL, and they get torn apart. I mean, I, you know, honestly, Teddy Bridgewater, I think, at, you know, on, on the day after the Super Bowl, if you had asked who's going to be the top quarterback taken in this draft, I think almost everybody would have said Teddy Bridgewater. He's the most complete player. And then over the last however many months it's been, you know, it seems like an eternity in the run-up to the draft, he's been ripped apart. And now he, there's a lot of people who don't think he'll go in the first round. So this is sort of part of the natural order of things in the NFL. Um, they they look at the film and they rip them apart, and that's, that's part of the deal. As for him, you know, he was um, – Always, as, as he, he does not project well into the NFL. He was a productive player in college, but in the NFL, I, there are concerns that he is not strong enough that he'll be overwhelmed by the you know gigantic offensive tackles that he's going to have to shed. And the flip side is they're concerned that he's not fast enough to get past them. Now, what they all say about him, though, is you're never going to outwork him, and you don't have to worry about, you know, his motor, which is the big knock on Clowney is, you know, does he go hard on every play? So that's what, that is what Sam has going for him. Like everybody says, like, this guy goes hard on every play and he's got great leadership skills and a great work ethic. And those things are important too. Again, I, I, I would be surprised if even at, at the end of this process, if he's undrafted. I just, you know, I, I think pass rushers, as you were saying before, Test rush is at such a premium in this league that if you can do that, there's probably going to be a spot on a roster for you, even if you're just a situational guy. Well, do you think the the gay angle has any any influence in the draft decisions? I mean, Bill Polian said on ESPN the other day that you know a late round pick for like him does not normally get much attention. That because of the special circumstance of him being openly gay. It could cause some teams to not want the, I hate the dreaded word, distraction, even though Paulie <laughs> said he would draft him. Do you think that, that his being open about sexual orientation will have any impact on teams drafting him or not? Well, I don't think you can make a blanket statement for all 32 teams. Do I think that there are probably people in some draft rooms saying, like you just said, you know, this guy is a you know, fifth-round pick. Do you really want the few days of – media hullabaloo that's going to surround him for a fifth round pick. Is it worth the effort? Is it worth it? Um, I, so I wouldn't, I, I can't say that there's no team that's thinking that way, but I can say that I've also, I think Sid and I have had this conversation before, like, you know, the NFL would, they would like draft a Nazi, you know, if they thought he could play. And so if they think Michael Sam can play, um, I don't think, the sexual orientation would dissuade a team from drafting him, especially because I think we've all seen already that the story was huge when he first came out before the Combine. He did the Combine press conference. That was a big day. That was a big story. It was a big story for a few days, and then it quieted down. And I think that, you know, teams, it was important for teams to see that, that, okay, then he just went back to being a football player and everybody relaxed and, you know, it's a 
nobody was talking about it anymore and there wasn't this media circus. And, and I think teams know that. You know, savvy teams know how to manage big media events. You know, they know that maybe for the first day of training camp or, you know, mini camp, the first time Sam reports to whatever team he goes to, mini camp or whatever it'll be, it'll be a big deal. It'll probably be a big deal for a few days. And then he's just a football player, and it'll go back to being, you know, hey, can you rush the passion? So um, I, I, you can't make a blanket statement about all 32 teams. There's a lot of people in those war rooms uh, who are chipping in with their opinions. But I, I, I would say, broadly speaking, I, I don't think that his coming out um, is going to influence a football decision. These guys are making football decisions now. So quickly, if he goes undrafted, though, a lot of people will say or will will try to link it to being somehow akin to homophobia. It's going to be unavoidable um, for some people to take that position. Yeah, I mean, whether that's fair or not, I I don't know. But, um, yeah, I I agree with you. Certainly if he goes undrafted, I mean, I'm I'm going to wonder about it, you know. Mm -hmm. But like they always say in the NFL, it only takes one team. So I I don't think – it's hard to make a sweeping statement about 32 teams that are spread all over the country with a lot of people involved in the decision-making that they're all of the same mindset. Uh, You know, that's why I'd be surprised if he's not drafted at all. and that's why I, I gave the the chances at 99.99% that he will be drafted and, and <laughs> just leaving room for war and plague because, you know, <laughs> there's no ch- way that when he gets to the sixth or seventh round, at some point, you know, the owners, some of these owners are sitting there looking at a player who might cost him a half million dollars. You know, I... My guess is in the first week, they'll sell 20,000 jerseys of this fifth-round prospect. And over the course of, of six months, they'll, they'll sell 100,000, I would guess. That, that's a lot of cash for – that's a big return investment for a guy who's a fifth-round pick. And I have to believe that at some point, an owner or a general manager says, this, this, the opportunity to make history and to make money is too big. We have to take him. Somebody is going to make that decision if nobody makes a football decision. Yeah, I, uh, I certainly wouldn't be surprised if that happened. I don't know which team it would be. I think there are uh, – I think we've talked about this in the past that, you know, I was told right after he came out, I was talking to a personal executive who said he were owners, some owners in the league, who under those conditions, like you said, late round would, would push – their organizations, like, you know, if this guy is on the board, take him, you know, you know, we need to take him. Um, but, you know, you have to, again, you have to have the right circumstances there. I mean, he has to be on the board at the right moment with the right team, us, um, with the right owner and the right coach and all of the right conditions. Again, I, I, I find it hard to believe that he's not going to be drafted. I'd, I'd be surprised if he's not drafted because when you get to the sixth or seventh rounds, I mean, there's, they're taking flyers on guys, you know, and, and I, I, I can't imagine why they wouldn't take a flyer on him, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I, that, that's my reason more than the gay thing why I'll be taken. But then I look at Jason Collins, and I was one of the most absolutely confident Jason Collins would be on some NBA roster starting the season. And you had a lot of people saying, oh, David Stern would never let him not be picked up because he'd be relatively cheap. He'd be a bench player. And, he waited till February to get picked up. So, but Jason Collins is a different case. I mean, Jason Correct. Collins is at the end of his career. You know, he's older, I and mean, this That's is a true. young guy. You know, that was a different set of circumstances too. So, uh, 
I, again, I, I mean, all I can tell you is I, I'd be surprised if he goes undrafted through seven rounds. Seven rounds is a heck of a lot of players. <laughs> and, you know, and, and I, I'd be surprised. I mean, he did play at the highest level of college football, you know, and he's as productive there. And even if, again, you think he's a tweener and, you know, you're not quite sure where he'd fit into your defense in the NFL, you know, he was a productive player at the best level of college football. Well, I mean, you think about him, Richard Sherman, is the, the Seahawks took a flyer on him. <laughs> because they passed, right. they passed on him for four rounds, and the Patriots took a flyer on Tom Brady because they passed on him for five rounds before he got drafted. Right. So, at the end of the day, I do think people say SEC co-defensive player of the year, eleven and a half sacks, and the best conference in football. Why not? I mean, the worst he can do is, you know, the Sid said cost him maybe whatever money for training camp, but it's not oh, right. going to be that's, that's huge investment. I think that's the most important thing to remember is there's not really much risk. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, if he's a late-round pick, there's not a whole lot of money being thrown out there. Again, are, are there some people who, you know, the word distraction comes up and you hear that a lot. Are there some people who are going to say, I just don't want to deal with the media circus? Yeah, I guess there's probably teams that would think that way, but... You know, I think much more than that is if there are people on the football side who say, well, let's see what this guy can do, you know, as a football player, I I think then you say to your PR people, like, okay, get ready. You know, we're going to have a few big days here. (laughs) You know, get your plan together for how you're going to manage this. And and I think one thing that helps him in this case is he's already been through the cycle once, the media craziness cycle, and he handled it well. Um, you know, and so I don't think anybody has to worry about how will he handle it. Like, I think they already saw how he handles it at the combine and in the run-off to this. Um, so that also makes it a little bit easier that you don't have to think, like, this guy's going to freak out, you know, and the media, you know, descends on training camp because he's not going to. I do think there there is a, there is there is a risk in, in taking him. And the risk is, to me, somebody's making a 53-man roster spot decision in this draft by drafting him. I, I don't believe anyone wants to draft Michael Sam and cut him. And, and, and I have to believe that some of the coaches and front office guys are thinking about that, that, that are we making a roster spot? And this is the one thing that I think could drop him a little bit is, you know, we're making a big decision here. Do we want to draft this guy and potentially cut him in August, or are we willing to commit to him right now? Well, that's a good point. Um, I agree. I mean, there would be a bit of a firestorm, I guess. Um, although, ultimately, I'm not sure how much of a firestorm it would be if they say, look, he just, we, we don't think he, he can play at this level or he doesn't fit in with our team. He doesn't fit what we do on defense. I would, you know, their fan base is going to accept that. Like, even Tim Tebow, who has as fervent a following as any football player has ever had, you know, he went to the Patriots and uh, and they released him. And you know what? Like, everybody lived, you know. And there are certainly still Tebow fans who think he, he got a raw deal in the NFL. But I think most mostly the explanation was he can't play. So, I mean, I think if they're making a football decision and saying he can't play at the NFL level – that's going to be accepted. Do I think there will be people, again, who will say, well, you know, were there problems in the locker room? Was he not being accepted by teammates? I mean, maybe. I don't expect that to be a problem at all in the locker room. Um, so I don't know. I think, you know, if, if he ultimately does not make a roster, you know, he doesn't catch on to a team, uh, you know, maybe he goes around for to a few teams and doesn't make it, I, I think people will accept it as a football thing. Well, you know, I guess I agree with that, too. Um because he's going to have an exhibition season, and 
everyone will right. see You're him on see. display. You're going to see. Yeah. And so if this guy is lighting it up and they cut him, well, then that raises red flags. Right. But if he's lighting up, they're not going to cut him. So I don't really don't think they're going to draft him saying he's guaranteed to make our roster. And that's not as a gay person something I want to have a gay player be automatically, right. okay. you know, slotted into that way. I just – and I think – I don't think there would be much of a firestorm. I think, again, if he gets cut before the first exhibition game for some reason, that would raise a lot of red flags. But you see him on the field, he'll be on – you know, NFL Network broadcast every game. Everybody could watch him, and I think we'll see for ourselves, you know, what he what he can do against right. competition. So I think it would make an easier decision um, for a team right. I mean, based I mean, on how we do it. Right. The one thing about the NFL is, as you said, that during the preseason, you're, you do see a lot of the guys who are, going, or who are trying to make rosters. You don't see a whole lot of a starter. So he is going to get a full opportunity in public view. And, and just like with Kipo, who – got an opportunity in public view and, you know, couldn't do it, ultimately, after the Broncos released him and then he just couldn't do it anywhere else after that one year. You know, if Sam can't play, well, everybody will see it. And then if, so if he doesn't make a roster, it'll be a football reason. If he can play and he doesn't make a roster, then, you, you know, you wonder what's going on. Well, then, you, then I think I, some but, other team would pick him up, right? I mean, I think Bill Belichick would swoop him up in a second if right, the guy was exactly. showing play. and. Yeah. Exactly. That just does not happen in the NFL. If guys can play, they will take him. And we have seen, we said this when Sam came out about teams dealing with distractions. Teams deal with all kinds of crazy stuff. And, and they deal with it. I mean, let's face it, the Eagles took Michael Vick out of federal prison. Okay? When Michael Vick was as reviled a person as there has ever been in the NFL, they took him out of federal prison. There were protests. You know, people were threatening boycotts, and they managed it PR-wise. They managed it beautifully. They had a press conference. He was contrite. The team explained, look, we believe in giving people chances. And it went away, ultimately. And he was a, you know, he was a really good citizen in the locker room, and ultimately it went away. And, and it worked out for all sides. I think, you know, I think all sides would say it worked out for them. And so teams can handle this kind of stuff. You know, they're, they're, they're not, there are teams that are well-equipped to handle big things like this. And, and he, but again, I think what's re, what would be reassuring to teams is he's already gone through the ringer once. <laughs> like he's already faced this huge media crowd, and he's already gone through his story, and he's explained everything, and he's answered questions that might have been uncomfortable. And so we've already gone through one cycle of that, so we know he can handle it. And that relieves some concern that teams would naturally have. Can can he handle it? You know, or is he, you know, sort of in a wilt under the pressure of that? Well, they don't have to worry about that. Well, this is why I've said that that if if somebody is worried about a media circus, then they should resign because every team's goal is to get to the biggest media circus of them all, the Super Bowl. <laughs> and so if you right. if you can't handle a few extra cameras and some questions at OTAs about a gay player, you should just right. quit now. And I and I think um, most NFL teams and certainly you know the NFL league office are sophisticated enough to know how to handle big stories like this. Again, they handled the Michael Vick story, which was as crazy a thing as there was. Um, and and it, even at the time when the Falcons were releasing Vic, when you know when Vic was being arrested, I mean th- those were terrible days for the Falcons, and they handled it and they got through it. 
teams know how to do this. Most teams know how to do this. Do they look forward to, you know, big things like this? Probably not, <laughs> you know, to be frank. They probably like to have a really quiet training camp. But, um, uh, you know, I think they know how to handle it. And, again, I think many teams, especially teams in big markets, know how to handle it, know how to make it a one- or two-day story, and then say, okay, that's it. You know, he's talked about this already, and we're playing football now. And then it'll go away, and then he's going to be judged, you know, as a football player, which I think is probably what everybody wants. Well, plus I think the media itself will help make it go away because they're going to get bored with it. Because yeah, right. Like, you look at Jason Collins and, and Michael's the same way. There's nothing there. There's no scandal there. There's no right. there's no trail of scandal or that, that kind of stuff. It simply is his sexual orientation is known publicly. After you ask the question for the 50th time, reporters get bored. Well, I'm not gonna, I can't ask him anything new. There's nothing, He's already said it. So the reporters will move on to the next shiny object because that's what we do. Because ultimately, he's just going to be a football player. And right. there's nothing – it's not like he – again, there's no conspiracy there. There's no drugs. There's no sex. There's, it's just simply he's a gay guy. And so when you ask the, the obligatory, how do you feel, how you expect about your teammates – what what are you, Judy, as a reporter, going to ask them after one interview? Right. Probably nothing you right. knew you, that you're not going to find out. Well, again, to go back to the, the Michael Vick situation, and I'm not trying to compare that, but, I mean, that mm-hmm. was just the biggest media circus I've ever seen. Um, but, again, after a few days, and, again, like you said, after the, like, how are you being received in the locker room? How are opponents treating you? How are fans treating you? After you go through those questions, I mean, you, you run out of questions. I mean, how many times can you a- ask that question? How many times can you expect them to answer it? Uh, you know, you just, okay, let's, and, and something else will come up. You know, it, I mean, that is one thing you can say about the NFL. There's always another story. So something else will come up. So, you know, you'll maybe spend one day at training camp. Michael Sam, how's it going? How are your teammates treating you? How are fans here treating you? Okay. And then you'll go on to, you know, wherever Johnny Manziel is, <laughs> you know, or wherever Clowney is. And, you know, that'll... That'll just be the way it is. I mean, I don't think there's going to be that much of a circus. I think, you know, I think it'll be a one-day or maybe two-day thing when he first reports to a team, Um, you know, and and then it'll be, that'll be it, you know. And then in the end, much like Tebow, because he is not going to be right away at least a star player, you know, the story will dissipate because he'll probably be a backup, you know, he'll be on special teams. And no matter what team he's on, there will be other storylines, even for those local reporters to cover. You know, even the people, the beat writers who have to come up with a story every day on that team are not going to write about him every day because, you know, they'll be worried about their quarterback, you know, or, or whatever is going on, you know, in their team. So I really, you know, I don't think that the media circus thing is going to be that big a deal. And as you said, Jason Collins, same thing in the biggest media market on earth. It was a story for a few days. And then, okay. You know, are, are they going to make the playoffs? I mean, that was then, you know, became the big story. Well, Judy, really appreciate you joining us. And will you be, you're at the draft, I assume, tonight? I am at Radio City right now after getting into a cab with a cab driver who apparently did not know where Radio City was. Because he took a... <laughs> <laughs> I said, took you the Statue of Liberty? I said, can you take me to Radio City Music Hall? And he said, um, where, where is that? And I was like, oh, boy. Okay, draft is off to Welcome a to America. <laughs> but I'm here now, so they can start. <laughs> All right, well, have a well, great Judy, time thanks so, circus. Thanks so much for being, uh, being our guest today. Thank you, guys. Enjoy the draft. <laughs> All right, we'll talk to you soon. Stay there.
That was Judy Batista from NFL.com, NFL Network, former uh, lead football writer for the New York Times, where I think I first got to know her, and um, you got to know her recently. She's she's just one of the best, and she's such a super nice person and uh, a great reporter, and she looks good on TV, too. I mean, she's always wearing some kind of nice, you know, necklace or something. I always want to write her and say, gee, I like what you're wearing today. <laughs> Well, kind of like her well, contrast with Jamie Dukes or you know some of those guys who who get flashy too. So when I was at the, uh, the NFL annual meeting, I, I was walking around. I spent a lot of time with Judy, and, and at, at one point somebody said, "Oh, the Queen is here." <laughs> <laughs> the, the media just kind of refers to her as the NFL media as as the Queen. Now, before we go, you're going to have to go on this contest. We have a contest picking Michael Sam. You said third or fourth. You're going to have to nail it down to the number of pick in your team. Um, and then we right. going to give a prize, not to consider myself if we're right, to, to the, our reader who is closest to the pick number because we think it's impossible probably to pick the team. And then the, I think if they pick a team, we'll give somebody a prize for getting that right. We've seen Jets, Seahawks, Patriots, Giants. Uh, I think I've seen a whole – Probably about 15 teams mentioned by people. All right. Well, I'm going to go. I'm going to hedge my bet a little bit, and I said late third or early fourth. I'm going to go mid, or I don't know if it's mid or late fourth, and the Cleveland Browns at 127. That's what I'm going to say. I said the Jets at 154. I don't well, know why I said the Jets. I just said the Jets. So. Well, the draft will be uh, the first time on Saturday. People will be paying attention to the draft. Just be, I think, because of Michael Sam, it'll be Absolutely. you know they have nothing else to talk about usually in the last day, and this will be like okay, the suspense, and they'll probably get more attention than than any late round picks gotten in years. Well, I, who tunes into rounds four through seven? <laughs> I yeah, really diehard. I mean, now yeah. it's possible to get drafted. He gets drafted at the end of the third round. That ends on Friday night, so it could happen as late or as early as Friday. Well, it will. It will. My guess is it'll be the highest-rated last day of the draft that they've yeah. ever had. Which you know, it's not a bad thing. I mean, and then I think a lot of people who don't usually watch football will be watching too. Yeah, exactly. So I know we will. Uh, but that's all the time we have for this week. Uh, next week we'll talk about the posts, Michael Sam uh, draft stuff. Talk about the teams and where he's going to, and kind of catch everybody there. So until then, uh, check us out on www.outsports.com, and we'll talk to you next week.